Welcome to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast, a Canadian real estate podcast that shows you how to pay off your mortgage sooner and live well while doing it. Now, here's your host, Sean Cooper. Welcome to the Bernier Mortgage Podcast. I'm Sean Cooper, and it's great to be back for another episode. On today's show, I'll be talking to Jason Heath. Jason is a fee-only, advice-only, certified financial planner at Objective Financial Partners. He does not sell any financial products whatsoever. Jason has been providing fee-only, advice-only financial planning since 2001 and is one of Canada's best-known fee-only financial planners. He's currently a personal finance columnist for the Financial Post and Money Sense. He's also a regular contributor to retirehappy.ca. In my interview with Jason, we discussed how rental real estate is taxed, whether you should hold real estate in a corporation, and how a financial planner can help you evaluate real estate decisions. But before we get to my interview with Jason, just a few words about this episode's sponsor. This episode of the Burn Your Mortgage podcast is sponsored by Properly. Picture this, you want to move to a new place, but something is holding you back. You need to sell your current home. For anyone who's sold before, selling a home can be a major pain. You'll have to deal with listing your home, cleanings, repairs, and showings. What if you could sell without the hassle and receive a market value offer for your home? Enter properly a real estate technology company that promises to buy your home directly. Properly pairs the accuracy of computer models with the experience of real estate professionals to determine the market price of your home. Properly will make you a guaranteed offer and allow you to choose your own closing date. If you'd like to see what Properly would pay for your home, visit goproperly.ca and complete a short questionnaire. I've also included a link in the show notes. Now back to our regularly scheduled podcast episode. Without further ado, here's my interview with Jason Heath. Hi, Jason. How are you doing today? I'm great, Sean. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks. Looking forward to discussing real estate and mortgages from a financial planning perspective. Haven't had a conversation like this, and I definitely think you're the best person to talk about on this topic. So super excited to talk to you today. Yeah, me too. Sounds great. Is real estate a good investment? And I guess that's a pretty general question, but perhaps you could give us a bit more insight into it and what you could perhaps measure in terms of real estate to help decide whether it's a good investment for you. Yeah, absolutely. I think the the answer, like the answer to many financial questions is maybe it's a good investment. Um, You ask anybody in certainly the greater Toronto area where you and I both are, uh, who's owned real estate in the last 20 years or so. And the answer is yes, it's a great investment. But I think that if you just focus on capital appreciation and growth in real estate prices, it's been sort of an abnormal period here. In in Toronto, for example, over the last 10 years, real estate prices have gone up by about 7.5% annualized. Certain markets uh, have been better. Certain markets elsewhere in Canada have been better or worse. But 
interestingly, if you go back to 1890 in the United States, the growth rate in U.S. real estate over the last 130 years has only been about a half percent in excess of inflation. Uh, right now, we're in a 2% inflation environment here. That's the target inflation rate for the Bank of Canada. That suggests that you know 2.5% growth rate might be more normal compared to what we've seen, 5 6 7% or, or more over the last 10, 20, 30 years in parts of Canada. So I think it's really important when you're investing in real estate if it's a home that you're buying to live in, I think you need to look at the cost of renting versus the cost of buying. If you're buying real estate uh, as an investment, as far as a rental property, I think now more than ever, super important to focus on cash flow, focus on the rental income that you're going to be able to earn relative to the purchase price of the property. I, for one, think that at any time, you've got to be careful about just hoping for capital appreciation or, or being able to flip a property, but perhaps now more so than ever. So uh, I think really important to look at the, the cash flow, look at your debt level, look at your alternative investment options and in real estate for the right person can be a great investment. Yeah, th thanks for bringing up all those great points. In terms of your principal resident, I guess people in the, the GTA and other parts that have seen high price appreciation over the last decade or so, the rule with real estate is that with your principal residence, it's really first and foremost a place to live. And that's kind of its main purpose. Instead of paying rent, you have a roof over your head and you own the property and the land and all of that. But I guess people have kind of gotten a bit too caught up in seeing their principal residence as an investment rather than mm -hmm. a place to live. So I guess you kind of have to have the right kind of mentality and can't expect. I mean, we've seen great returns over the last couple of decades, as you mentioned, but I guess you can't really be banking on that and seeing your house as your guaranteed retirement fund. It's definitely important mm -hmm. more than ever with less company pension plans to put some money aside and in RSP and not just depend on your property and, you know, setting up a HELOC or reverse mortgage to fund your retirement, because I don't think that's really the right way to go about saving for your golden years. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think there are certainly people that their home may ultimately make up part of their retirement plan, particularly if you've got a big family and you have a home that's bigger than you're otherwise going to need to have in retirement. But I just worry a lot of people these days are uh, banking on on their home being their retirement plan they're unable to invest and save and real estate's funny and i'll, I'll give you a, a, just a good example of whether or not owning versus renting may be better or, or worse uh, just in the last few weeks i've been talking to two different clients one in uh, downtown toronto looking to buy a rental property for $545,000. They figure they can get about $2,300 a month in rent on the property. And then another client up in Stouffville, northeast of Toronto in the suburbs, renting out a property for $2,015 a month that's worth about $850,000. And it's odd. There's certain places where you know, $2,000 in rent gets you a lot more home, a lot more value. I mean, in Stovall, I might argue that 
it's a renter's market, whereas in Toronto, it might be more of a balanced market. And then there's other places across Canada where rents are crazy high relative to the cost of owning a property. So the sort of rules of thumb that that renting is throwing away money or, you know, you have to buy a home as soon as possible. Not always the case. You know, owning your, your principal residence can be a great for savings plan and a great way to build wealth just from a financial perspective. But it's amazing. Different markets uh, are, are different and there are cases where renting can be uh, better or can be worse. That's a great point that you raised. And certainly that's why it's a good idea to speak with a financial planner like yourself who can help you crunch the numbers if you're not sure about something like that. For sure. The second question I had for you is, it's kind of a general question. How is it best to leverage real estate? And when I hear the word leverage, that makes me think of borrowing money. So mm. perhaps you could just explain uh, your perspective on that and what people should consider when they're looking to leverage real mm-hmm. estate in the best manner possible. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you, I, for one, am hesitant to see people borrow money to invest in stocks or mutual funds. The vast majority of my clients do not borrow to invest in stocks or mutual funds. Uh, I myself don't borrow to invest in stocks or mutual funds. Investing in real estate and borrowing money to invest in real estate, I for one am more comfortable with. And one of the main reasons is that real estate is not as liquid as a stock or a mutual fund. If you borrow $10,000 on your line of credit to buy a stock or an exchange traded fund or a mutual fund or Bitcoin or whatever you wanted to buy with that $10,000, it's very easy to get panicked, read something in the newspaper, hear something from a friend and on your phone log in and press the sell button and, and panic at the wrong time. Real estate, because it's less liquid, And because you need to call your real estate agent, talk to them, put the property up for sale, it's a much longer process to sell. I'm more comfortable seeing a real estate investor borrow money to invest in real estate. When you're buying a rental property, you generally need to have a 20% down payment uh, at at minimum. Uh, So you can get up to an 80% first mortgage when you're buying a rental property. You can, if you have equity in your existing home, for example, use your line of credit on your home to put down the down payment, even the whole 20% down payment, and then borrow the other 80%. So it's possible that you could buy a rental property with none of your own money and and have it 100% financed. I think it's important to be careful if you're looking to go down that route. Um, Super important, I think, to have good financial planning and the first place to make sure that you've managed your cash flow well, you've got an emergency fund, you know, proper insurance in place. I think proper insurance is important at any age and stage in your life, but particularly if you're taking on an obligation like a rental property where you might have uh, a mortgage payment on your home, a mortgage payment on a rental property. I think you definitely want to make sure that you've got proper life uh, disability and possibly critical illness insurance in place and you've covered off all your bases. So certainly I think rental real estate investing and, and real estate investing is something that you do after you've got some of the um, initial blocks in, in place in terms of your financial planning pyramid. Well said. And I like the fact that you brought up insurance because insurance is one of those things where 
you don't really think you need it until a life event happens and then you oh, yeah. find out that you know you would have been a lot better off purchasing enough insurance whether it's life insurance disability insurance or critical illness and i mean i think disability insurance is is, is something that a lot of people dismiss but i've read uh, statistics out there that say one in three canadians are disabled for I believe 90 days or, or more at least once in their lifetimes mm-hmm. and you know people say well I've got coverage through my workplace but um, in my experience a lot of the times that coverage is limited in terms of what it covers I mean you might be only be covered for stuff that happens at work or mm-hmm. you might only be covered for like a certain percentage of your salary and it's not sure. enough for you to be able to pay all your financial obligations during that time so it certainly say that it's a good idea to look at all that information, especially when you're making a major purchase, like buying another property and just making sure that you have enough insurance in place, because certainly you don't want something to happen and then realize that you should have purchased more. I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty, but it's better to be prepared and have all your ducks in a row rather than having something bad happen and then realizing you're uh, in trouble. Definitely. I agree. Is paying down debt better than investing? So I guess debt comes in many shapes and sizes from mortgage debt to secured and unsecured line of credit, student debt, car loans. Feel free to, I guess, share your perspective on any or all of them. I mean, I paid off my mortgage super quick, but for other people, it might not make sense. So I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on that, Jason. Yeah, it's, it's certainly an age-old question, and I don't think there's a black or white answer. It's kind of gray. I tend to focus on some of the things that might cause me to lean more towards debt repayment or more towards investing when I'm having a conversation with somebody. I think the interest rate on your debt is the first consideration. If you have high interest rate debt, like credit card debt or an unsecured line of credit, for example... I think that more often than not, that high interest rate debt should be paid off before investing. There may be some um, situations where investing in, say, a, a group plan at work where there's a company match may be better than paying off high interest rate debt, but generally get rid of that high interest rate debt first. Beyond that, I think the next question I'd be asking somebody if they're trying to decide whether to pay down debt or invest is what their risk tolerance is. If somebody is a very conservative investor, um, is not likely to have exposure to stocks and other risky assets and their investments, more likely to keep money in a savings account or a GIC, I think that's a situation where paying down debt can be a, a great investment with a guaranteed rate of return by way of the interest that you will avoid having to pay. It also kind of depends on what account you're going to invest in. If somebody is considering paying down their mortgage, for example, or contributing to their RRSP, the higher your your tax bracket is and, and the higher the tax refund you're going to get, the more enticing an RRSP contribution might be, particularly if you're an investor who is comfortable with taking risk in your RSP. I think at the end of the day, paying down debt and investing, they both increase your, your net worth. You know, your, your net worth, the formula is assets minus liabilities equals your net worth. And whether you increase your assets 
or decrease your liabilities, they both increase your net worth. And it's just a matter, I think, of trying to figure out what is the best of the good choices you can make. They're both good choices at the end of the day. And I'm so glad that you brought up the risk tolerance because a lot of people think that decision of whether to pay down debt or invest is just simply a numbers crunching exercise, but it's certainly not. I mean, for some people, they might be more risk adverse and be able to sleep better at night with a, a fixed rate mortgage and their mortgage being paid off as well, even though it might make more sense for them investing. So, you know, certainly it's an individual decision and uh, there are several factors to consider, uh, like certainly crunching the numbers and seeing which way you could potentially make the most money or save the most money in terms of the debt is one exercise, but also you have to ask yourself how comfortable you are carrying debt long-term. So, I mean, certainly it's not such a simple decision as it would seem. Not at all. And just to extend your comments there a little bit, the, the other neat thing I think when it comes to financial planning and, and decisions about money is I, I can sit down and I can crunch numbers and I can mathematically prove why doing A is better than doing B. But at the end of the day, the, there, there's a return on investment that you can get from the emotional or psychological repercussions of making a certain choice. So even if somebody is better off having more exposure to stocks, in their investment portfolio. If they don't sleep well at night, it doesn't matter. Having more conservative investments provides them a a non-monetary return. And likewise with paying down your mortgage, even if there is an argument in a a particular case for somebody to invest and put money in their RSP or their TFSA or another investment account, if you feel better, if you get a better rate of return emotionally and psychologically on debt repayment, Again, you're making a, a good choice and, and perhaps a better choice for yourself that uh, um, ultimately is going to get you to a better place financially. Very well said. So my next question for you is, how is rental real estate taxed? And I guess you can talk about it from a couple perspectives. I mean, my understanding is if you're flipping properties, then that's considered business income. Whereas mm-hmm. if you're holding on to real estate long-term, like a rental property and selling it eventually, you'd have to pay capital gains on that. And as well as the rental income that you earn, you have to pay taxes on that too. So perhaps you could talk a bit about that and how that would work. Sure. I'll, I'll try to do a quick uh, rental taxation 101 course here. First off, when you have a rental property, the income and the expenses are reported uh, as part of your personal tax return. It's a, a schedule on your personal tax filing where you report the rental income that you've collected. And then from that income, you can deduct things like mortgage interest, property taxes, condo fees, insurance, management fees if you employ a property management company, and repairs. Uh, So you'll notice I distinguished mortgage interest. So your whole mortgage payment isn't tax deductible, not the principal portion, just the interest. And likewise, if you use a line of credit and you're making interest payments on that line of credit, even if it's not on the property itself, as long as you've borrowed the money to purchase that property, that line of credit interest is also tax deductible. Repairs is, a, is a, an area where I find there's a lot of confusion 
the Canada Revenue Agency makes a distinction between repairs and renovations and, and what they refer to as current costs and capital costs. Current costs are repairs, capital costs are renovations. And a good example would be if you had to fix uh, something that was broken, that was fairly small, that was a minor repair in uh, a home, that would be considered a repair, a current cost, if you will, that is tax deductible on your tax return this year. Whereas if you did a renovation, you know, knock down walls, you replaced the flooring with hardwood floors, you put in a new furnace or put on a new roof, those are capital expenses that you add to the cost of the property for capital gains tax purposes when you eventually sell it, but you don't get to deduct it all in the year that you incur that big expense. You can, when you buy a rental property and when you do renovations or make capital improvements to that property, claim depreciation. They call it capital cost allowance or CCA. And most rental properties, you get to claim 4% of your initial purchase price on a declining annual basis as a depreciation against your rental income. Another caveat is you can not use your depreciation deduction to create a rental loss. So you can only use it to bring your net rental income down to zero. That's how your rental income and expenses are, are taxed very sort of high level on an annual basis. And then if and when you sell a property, you may have a capital gain if it's gone up in value. If you've claimed depreciation on the property over the years, uh, those deductions get uh, accumulated and totaled up and added back into your income the year that you sell the property. They call it recapture. So there can be a certainly a big tax hit if you've owned a rental property for a long time. And, and as you alluded to, if you buy and sell a property quickly and you flip it, the Canada Revenue Agency is being very particular these days about those types of transactions and may tax it as fully taxable business income rather than a, a capital gain, which is 50% taxable and 50% tax-free. So that was a mouthful. There's rental uh, property taxation in a nutshell, lots of little nuances, but um, that's the high-level answer. Well, thanks so much for giving the listeners a crash course in that. And something that I've always been curious about, and I'm sure the listeners would be curious to hear about, but we were talking about a standalone rental property, but what if you rent out part of your property? Let's say you have your primary residence as a bungalow and rent out the basement. I've heard of some homeowners claiming capital cost allowance on their principal residence and then I've heard also that you can kind of I guess run into some problems with the principal residence exemption so perhaps you could yes. talk briefly about like let's say you're renting out 40% of your property or 50% of your property claiming that on an annual basis and then you go to sell the property are you still getting that full principal residence exemption and how, how does the capital cost allowance work if you're claiming some of the renovations you're doing on your principal yeah. residence as well you know, as long as you are um, renting out less than half, less than 50% of your rental property or of your principal residence that you're using as a rental property of the basement, as an example, then the property can still qualify as your principal residence. 
and be free from tax when you sell it. You need to be really careful about claiming any depreciation or capital cost allowance on a principal residence because uh, it can result in you losing the principal residence exemption and having to pay tax when you sell the property if it uh, has gone up in value from your original purchase price. So it's tough, it can be tempting to claim a capital cost allowance or depreciation. It gives you a tax deduction that helps you save tax in the current year. It, it can make sense in some cases with a regular rental property, but when you're dealing with your principal residence, I'd say generally speaking, you're better off not claiming it so you can maximize your principal residence exemption. That can be a big tax savings over the long run. And of course, it's a good idea to speak with a financial planner to help decide whether or not that makes sense for yourself. For sure. And I think for those uh, uh, people that have uh, an accountant, definitely run it by your accountant. And you know, if you have an accountant that does your tax return, there's a lot of uh, accountants that just work with their clients on a transactional basis. You send in your slips, they do your taxes. They send you a form to sign and a, and a bill and that's it. If you're considering something like buying a rental property, which could be a, you know, a half million dollar, a million dollar decision, depending where you are in the country or, or what you're looking at, well worth taking some time and paying a professional to get some input and just ask your accountant, hey, can we have a tax consultation? There's not enough people, I think, that, that pay their tax accountant or a state lawyer or financial planner for that matter, to, to sit down and just have a, a conversation like this that uh, is important when you're considering a big uh, life decision. No, I agree completely. Perfect. Well, another great question I have for you that you suggested discussing is, should you hold rental real estate in a corporation or holding company? So I'd mm -hmm. love to hear kind of a high level discussion on some things that you should consider whether you're buying your first rental property or you're buying your fifth rental property. Yeah, my experience has been that there are people who jump the gun on setting up corporations, whether it has to do with rental real estate or setting up a, a business, they're self-employed and they go and set up a corporation. And incorporation has costs. Uh, there's generally legal costs to set up a, a corporation. Even if you do it on your own, depending where you are in the country, uh, there might be $1,000 of government uh, filing costs. If you do it with a lawyer, it could be $2,000, give or take, to set up a corporation. And then on an annual basis, corporate accounting and preparing a corporate tax return is more complex and, and much more costly than a, a personal tax return. You know, your cost could be a thousand or two thousand dollars or even more for a corporation versus you know potentially just hundreds for a personal tax return be careful before you set up a corporation don't jump the gun and if you have real estate rental real estate that you're looking to transfer into a corporation in ontario for example where we are if you transfer real estate into a corporation that you already own personally there's land transfer tax payable, which is uh, twice as expensive in Toronto where there's a city land transfer tax. Mortgages are more difficult to get for a rental property that is held within a corporation. There's just a lot more involved. And when you look at the sort of pros 
and all we talked about is negatives and the, the cons. But when you look at the pros, a corporation may seem more professional, perhaps, to a potential renter, but I, I don't know how important that really is. Uh, the rental income taxation, if you're in a really high tax bracket, depending where you are in the country, there may be slight tax savings on an annual basis or even on the sale of your properties or property to, to have it in a corporation, but we're only talking a couple of percent. And for the vast majority of taxpayers, the tax rate that you would pay on your rental income or on the eventual sale of the property may be higher if it's held in a corporation than if you held it personally. I think that the, the people that would be best suited to consider a corporation for holding real estate would be someone who's already incorporated, who already has a corporation and who is building up savings inside of that corporation that they want to use to buy a rental property or they want to use to buy a building for their business, for example. That's a, a case where there is a good reason for keeping those savings within a corporation, either the existing corporation or a, a new corporation, often referred to as a holding company. There, there may be another exception if there's gonna be multiple owners that are owning a piece of real estate. If you and uh, a bunch of friends, for example, are, are gonna buy a rental property or multiple rental properties, a corporation could be an easier way to do it rather than having five names on a um, particular property. And sometimes if you're buying a, a commercial property, I mean, you know, generally speaking, we're, we're talking about bigger, more expensive properties like a building or a factory or something like that. There, there could be other you know, reasons related to the liability and things like that to hold real estate in a corporation. But if you're just starting out and you're buying a condo or you're buying a house and you're gonna rent it out to a tenant, even if you have a couple properties like that, I'd say, I think twice about setting up a corporation may not be worth it. Certainly many factors to consider and out of everything that we've discussed today, I mean, I would say if you're thinking about setting up a corporation or holding company for real estate, that's definitely that you want something that you want to speak with uh, your financial team of experts about because it's, as you've alluded to, many different aspects to consider and it's not just a straight and simple answer for everybody. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Great. So we've touched on this throughout the podcast, but perhaps you could tell me how can a financial planner help you evaluate real estate decisions and i mean feel free to run through an example let's say you're thinking about buying a principal residence or real or a rental property how could a financial planner kind of help crunch the numbers what would they look at to help you decide whether it's a good idea or not yeah i mean a financial planner can help you evaluate all kinds of different decisions certainly real estate whether it's buying a home buying a rental property um, considering a downsize uh, things like that are, are great situations to talk to a, a financial planner. Uh, we had a, a prospective client that emailed us yesterday and needed some help with a piece of land that they had bought and they were subdividing and building properties and keeping one and selling another. And, and when we looked at their needs, we actually said, look, I mean, we could help you 
with this, but you're actually probably better off speaking to an accountant. And we referred them to a a CPA, to to an accountant instead. Generally, a financial planner like us, we'd be better off helping in a situation where you want to look at can I afford it? How do I structure it? How much of a down payment do I put down? Where do I get that down payment from? If it's more of an integrated decision that you're considering, we'll run the numbers sometimes for clients to try to help them decide whether they can afford to buy a certain home, how it might compare to investing in a more traditional way in RSPs or TFSAs and and stocks and bonds and exchange traded funds and mutual funds. We can help understand the tax and the other implications, uh, of course, as can uh, many accountants. But I think that if and when you are considering hiring the services of a financial planner for any reason, but certainly to help make a real estate decision, you've got to be careful about conflicts of interest. There's not Uh, nearly enough financial planners in Canada who are not somehow tied to the sale of financial products like investments or insurance. To walk into a bank branch and and ask a mutual fund licensed salesperson, hey, should I buy a rental property or should I open an RSP? The answer is probably going to be open an RSP and invest in our bank's mutual funds. You know, when, when you're a hammer, everything looks like a nail. So you've got to try to look out for people that can look out for your best interests and uh, give you the advice you ultimately need to make your own financial decisions. Yes, that's so well said. I mean, certainly everybody has a different perspective, but at the end of the day, you care about your money the most. So feel free to definitely consider everyone's advice. But at the end of the day, you need to do what's best for yourself. And I would say just take what other people say with a grain of salt and take some time to think don't make any snap decisions and just think about what would be best for you in the end because as you said certainly uh, if you walked into the bank and as mentioned we're debating between buying a property or investing mutual funds they're probably going to tell you that the best option is to invest in mutual funds whereas if you ask the same question to a realtor, they're probably going to tell you a completely yeah. different answer. So, I mean, you can certainly, each yeah. person can tell a different story through numbers, but at the end of the day, you need to kind of try to filter through all that and figure out what's best for you at the end of the day, because numbers are certainly one aspect of the decision, but as mentioned, there's kind of an emotional aspect to it as well. So don't always rely just on the numbers. You need to do what's best for you at the end of the day. Absolutely. Perfect. Well, Jason, it's been great having you on the show today. Before I let you go, is there anything of interest that you're working on that you'd like to share with our listeners? I, you know, I'd say nothing, nothing specific that I, I could say, hey, check this out. Just generally speaking, my, my colleagues and I, I've, I work with a team of certified financial planners who provide uh, advice to clients on a, on a fee-only or, or fee-for-service or advice-only basis. We don't sell products. We sell our time and that time can be as simple as an hour long conversation or meeting on a very focused topic or what we tend to work on with most clients is is building up more comprehensive retirement and financial plans. It's important, I think, for listeners to know that there are ways that you can engage the services of a financial planner who's objective and doesn't have an ax to grind and you can pay them the same way that you would pay an accountant or a lawyer on an hourly or a flat fee basis. 
you know, I try to be out there uh, in the media and putting out content as much as I can. I write for the Financial Post and, and Money Sense and Retire Happy and Canadian Money Savers. So look for me out there. But just wanted to thank you very much for having me on, Sean. I think you're doing great work with the uh, advice and information you're spreading through various channels as well. And just appreciate the opportunity to join you today. As mentioned at the start of the show, this episode of the Burn Your Mortgage podcast is sponsored by Properly. Picture this, you want to move to a new place, but something is holding you back. You need to sell your current home. For anyone who's sold before, selling a home can be a major pain. You'll have to deal with listing your home, cleanings, repairs, and showings. What if you could sell without the hassle and receive a market value offer for your home? Enter Properly, a real estate technology company that promises to buy your home directly. Properly pairs the accuracy of computer models with the experience of real estate professionals to determine the market price of your home. Properly will make you a guaranteed offer and allow you to choose your own closing date. If you'd like to see what Properly would pay for your home, visit goproperly.ca and complete a short questionnaire. I've also included a link in the show notes. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Earn Your Mortgage Podcast. Besides being a podcast host, I'm also an independent mortgage broker. If you or anyone you know, family, friends, co-workers, or neighbors could ever use any unbiased mortgage advice or a second opinion, feel free to reach out. Email me at Sean, that's S-E-A-N, at burnyourmortgage.ca or Call or text me at 647-867-3711 for a free mortgage consultation. Also, be sure to head on over to www.burnyourmortgage.ca and sign up for my free weekly newsletter. As a small token of my appreciation, you'll be able to download my ultimate mortgage checklist on choosing the perfect mortgage. I look forward to hearing from you and helping you with all your mortgage needs. Once again, thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Burn Your Mortgage Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes and leave a rating. Until next time, happy mortgage burnings.